What's up, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. As always, so good to be with you. Um, you're going to hear in this episode that we have today, I sound a little bit sick. Um, when I recorded the episode, I was feeling like death. Uh, but fortunately, our guest today, Chris and I, uh, dropped so much wisdom and uh, just really, really good truth that hopefully it overshadows my uh, NyQuil hangover, terrible fogginess. But <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not sick anymore. I feel great now. Uh, but I just wanted to give that little caveat. If, you, if I sound like death, it's because I felt like death. Uh, if you're brand new to the Dad Tired Ministry, welcome. Give me some grace, uh, but we're glad to have you. We'd love to have you come be part of our community. We're just a bunch of dudes who are broken, sinful guys trying to figure out what it looks like to fall in love with Jesus and to help lead our families to do the same. Um, we really are committed to being the spiritual leaders of our home and kind of stumbling our way to that and figuring that out as we go. Uh, and we'd love to have you come be part of our community. You can do that by going to dadtire.com. Click the community tab that will link you over to a closed group that we have on Facebook. We've got thousands of guys from around the world who are taking this stuff seriously. I always tell guys, uh, I get some emails from you throughout the week um, from guys that say they don't have Facebook. There are a bunch of group bunch of guys within the dad tire group who actually don't have Facebook um, or they didn't have Facebook and they created an account just to be part of the dad tired group. I actually on Facebook have no friends. Uh, my wife's not my friend. My kids aren't my friend. Well, they wouldn't be my, the kids don't have Facebook. Uh, my grandma, my mom, like no, I don't have any Facebook friends, uh, but I just have an account so I can be part of groups that are meaningful. That way when I actually log on to Facebook, it's not just a bunch of like drama and chaos, um, but it's just groups that I'm interested about, uh, interested in. So Dad Tired is obviously one of those groups. If you don't have a Facebook or, or you're on Facebook, but you're kind of not into it or over it or whatever, um, you can just create an account and come join the group. And that way your Facebook's feed with your Facebook feed is filled with things that are encouraging and uh, not chaos um, and drama. So anyway, love to have you come be part of that. Go to dadtired.com forward slash community or just click the community tab. Um, just want to tell you guys again, this podcast, every single week, uh, we have guys saying, sending emails saying how the, the podcast, the ministry, the group, uh, everything that we're doing is really having a huge impact on them. I just got an email from a guy recently who said that he was like super skeptical about Jesus, um, about God, religion, all that stuff. He stumbled upon the podcast and had been listening for about three months now and made a decision to start following Jesus, which dude... This, that's insane, man. In 2019, how God is using technology and podcasts and all the things that we're doing now to draw men back to himself. It's so, so cool. Um, and we get a lot of these kinds of stories of guys who either given their life to Christ for the first time or guys who are feeling like, I didn't know what it looked like to be a spiritual leader in my home. I didn't know what it looked like to pursue my wife and my kids and try to lead, the, lead them towards Christ. And now I feel like I've got a better handle on that. I'm at least kind of have a little bit of a game plan to stumble my way through that. So it's it's seriously, the Dad Tired Ministry is sincerely changing lives. And uh, we want to just reach more guys. So if you are believing that, if you've been part of that, if you've been a guy that's been encouraged by the Dad Tired Podcast, I just can't uh, encourage you enough to consider making a donation to the ministry, jumping on a monthly plan. Even small monthly plans help us a ton. Um, so anyway, if you if you believe in what we're doing and equipping guys to lead their family well, uh, your support would mean the world to us. You can do that by going to dadtired.com forward slash give and make a contribution. All contributions are tax deductible. You'll get that as a write-off at the end of the year. But again, most importantly, you're helping us reach more guys for the gospel and to help them lead their families well. I love you guys. You're going to enjoy this interview with my good buddy, Chris Nye. 
Chris, super excited that you decided to hang out with us today. For the audience who may not know you, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days, man. Yeah, great to be with you, man. We go we go way back. Recently, what I'm doing, um, I'm living in Silicon Valley of California, which is just south of San Francisco in the Bay Area, um, with my wife, Allie, and uh, she works at Stanford as, as a doctor there. It's why what brought us to the Bay Area, and uh, we've been married for... Uh, it's going to be nine years next month, which we're excited about. And I get to pastor, um, an associate pastor at a church down here called Awakening Church. We're a seven-year-old church plant, and I get to do a lot of our discipleship stuff, do some teaching, leadership development, and just help build this church out uh, as we're just kind of seven years old. So we're still figuring things out. God's blessed us with a multi-ethnic, uh, multi-generational church of about 500 people. And um, we're just living the way of Jesus down here and um, figuring it out, trying to be faithful in prayer and with one another. So yeah, we're, we're in a really, really sweet season as a family and, uh, and as a church. I love it, dude. Um, before we dive into a lot of that and yeah. what you're doing kind of on deeper level, uh, I think it's just fair for the audience to know, full disclosure, like you and I have been friends for quite some time now. Yes. Um, I moved from California to Oregon, which mm-hmm. we're swapped now. Yeah. Um, but uh, you were like one of my very first friends here in Oregon. We worked together at the church. We shared uh, office space like we were. We did. And uh, I was thinking right before I hit record, like, dude, if if people could rewind 10 years and <laughs> see us. <laughs> uh, would they want to? <laughs> well, I'm, I don't think they would listen to this podcast for one. And they might call like whatever the yeah. higher authority yeah. is of uh, pastors. Like, <laughs> let's get these guys revoked because uh, we're just so immature. I mean, I was. You were wise. No. You were much wiser. No, no, than no. Me, let's, but, not, let's not mince words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. So anyway, we've got a lot of memory. So uh, for those of you who are listening, um, yeah, just know that if if some if we start acting like thirteen year olds in yeah, the middle of trying to be really mature pastors, yeah, uh, it might happen. Also, yeah, you're a second time guest on the show. Like you, you were one of the first guests that we ever had on the Dad Tire podcast way back in the day. And uh, now we have billions of listeners, you know, which is crazy. <laughs> we, so it's grown after I was on. That's perfect. Right. Yeah. Right. You came yeah. on. We were, I, I think there's like 10 or 12 guys listening when you first came on. And now, yeah, I think we're at like six or seven billion. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I love stars. it. Yeah. No, that was, that was, that was so generous. I loved our conversation last time. It was around the first book, Distant God. And um, it's it's been really fun. I just just real fast. Been really fun to just watch Dad Tired grow. And even just before we were hit and record here, just you telling me a little bit about the movement around some of the events you're doing and the way men are not not really. What I love about your ministry is like they're not just finding like what it means to be a dad. They're just finding Christ, and that's, that's right. helping them be a dad. And that's, that's just right. that's money. I love it. So I love this community. All the listeners, you guys are awesome. Yeah. Appreciate that, man. Well, in all seriousness, for those of you guys listening, Chris is, he really is such a dear friend. He was in my wedding. Uh, I've always looked up for, to him. He, we, we're, you know, physically distant now, but, um, you're always like on speed dial for me as far as guys that I need to turn to, uh, 
if I'm in crisis, I, I imagine that you're one of the guys I'm going to first. I just value you and your wisdom and your heart a ton. So super, super excited. Uh, you wrote a new book, man, since you last came on. Your last book was called Distant God, which was so good. You, obviously, everyone can go still pick that up. But you got a new book out called Less of More. Uh, unpack it for me, man. What What's that all about? Yeah, the subtitle is Pursuing spiritual abundance in a world of never enough. So kind of what I'm trying to do, um, you know, in that book is, um, in the, in this new book is I'm trying to approach our addiction to accumulation. That's kind of the way I would put it. Right. And what I mean by that is the constant pursuit for what's next, what's more. Um, and, and that can be varying degrees, right? Obviously money is kind of one of the topics that I cover, but I really think attention is another thing. More and more attention, more and more fame is another thing. Um, another thing is just more and more of myself, like isolated success is like, is a huge thing. So in the book, it's kind of trying to like trace what I call the American story of more, which is like these, the story we tell ourselves in America that we've been, I believe to use like a biblical term discipled in. And I'm trying to like paint that picture and that story and then match with it the biblical counter narrative, I call it. So like the ways in which the Bible combats that story of more, I think the best way to summarize it kind of in the beginning of the book, I take that line from John the Baptist who says like, I must decrease and he, Jesus must increase. And it reminds me of that. There's a great quote from Andrew Murray, who is a, a missionary to South Africa in the 1800s. And he said, if I am something, then God is not everything. And that those two quotes really guide the rest of the book of going, how do we decrease in this age that's constantly trying to increase? Man, which is it's such a good topic. You know, it's I, the first thing that came to mind is all the times Jesus said, like, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this, mm-hmm. like that kind of yeah. constant contrasting of here's the kingdom you're living in and here's the kingdom that I'm setting up or have set up. Um, can you give us some like practical examples? I know you mentioned like money mm-hmm. and power and that you, you give a lot of examples yeah. in the book. Kind of pack us through like what, what does this look like on a day-to-day basis for somebody? Yeah, I think that one of the things, I think this is a great message for men in this country is um, one of the practical things I like to, to think about with this book is the first idea of saying your life does not have to be spiritual spectacular. Okay. Mm. And your life. And I, what I mean by that is you don't have to have somebody write your biography. Okay. Um, you don't, you, you don't have to live a life that, um, is in our terms great because in the kingdom terms, the way that Jesus has led us is that all of us can live a life of greatness and goodness in his kingdom because his way is so contrary to the American way. Right. So here's what I mean committing to the community and the church that you are in and serving your family on a daily basis, waking up and saying, how can I serve my kids? Waking up and saying, how can I serve my job and my place of employment? Um, Living a life, I I have a chapter on obscurity, living a life of obscurity. Jesus has these these, these, um, kingdom principles and kingdom metaphors where he talks about like seed in the ground, leaven in a lump of bread, treasure hidden in a field. All of these things are hidden, right? Salt of the earth. You can't see salt after it's thrown on the earth, right? It's invisible at some level. It's hidden in plain sight. And I think for us, one of the practical pieces is just going, every day we live our lives, 
we don't have to do these remarkable big things for it to be effective in the kingdom. So what are you doing every day that's building into that kingdom at work at your, with your family? And the great encouragement I see in the life of Jesus is we don't have to be spectacular by the world's terms. We can live the lives, do the things you do every day. Um, that's why the New Testament, uh, but in the name of Jesus, right? The New Testament calls, uh, like, uh, asks us to live that kind of life in the name of Jesus or whatever you do, uh, do it for the glory of God. Well, that's not saying, you know, you got to go be rich and change your whole life. You got to go be the spectacular person. Actually, you can continue to do the things you're doing with greater faithfulness and that will yield kingdom results. And so when I think about practicality, one of the messages I think I want to give to a lot of the men, men is like, don't fall for the lie that the grass is greener on the other side, because mostly the grass is not green on your side because you're not watering it. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not building in and, and focusing on the things God has given you to be faithful in. And so the most practical thing I could say is whatever we're committed to now, our families, our churches, our workplaces, how do we kind of go more deeply into that? It might seem like decreasing, but that's exactly how Jesus might increase in our life. Yeah. So practically, like, what does that look like when, when we're talking about the biblical counter narrative of that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're talking about, all right, man, just like be faithful at home, yeah. be faithful in your, your church community and in your work. Like what, what, what does that mean for a guy? Yeah. I think about, um, Jesus teaching with, um, treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And, um, right after that passage in Matthew six, he's got this kind of funny teaching about like eyes and he's like, there's healthy and unhealthy eyes and, I think that whole teaching in that little section of scripture is about um, where do we give our time, our money, and our attention. Hmm. And those are three things I would say practically about being faithful is is where are we spending our time, where are we spending our money, and where are we spending our attention. And so through your day, you have the opportunity to – those three things are finite resources that can show you what you really value. And so every day you have the opportunity to spend time with people um, or spend attention on people, attention on your kids, attention on the people in your work. Um, or you can spend your time and your attention scrolling on your phone, checking out, right? You can, you can pull away from community. Um, you have the opportunity through a week, right, to spend time in God's church in a small group of like of men or men and women who help you build into your faith. You can give them your attention. You have the choice to spend your money on yourself every single day or your money on your children or that which will outlast you, right? You can spend your money and give your money to the church. And when I think about the daily faithfulness of life, I like to kind of think about those things. How am I spending my time and my money and my attention? Because I think overwhelmingly as we grow as Christians, we're going to be pulled to spend our time and money and attention on ourselves to kind of recoil into isolation as opposed to like step into community and continue to like build piles of wealth and fame and power um, on ourselves, But we're not going to, you know, have that life of like generosity and um, openness to other people. So those are some of the three things I would have, you know, people think about through their daily life. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on the, the church community aspect of it for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, you've been leading, uh, in, in the church leadership world for a long time now. 
Um, and two, one of the things that you talk about in your book is <clears throat> really how uh, not that long ago, your whole life was centered around your community, the people around you, and how we've now kind of flipped that. And the opposite of true is that, uh, what did you call it, the hyper... Um, hyper-individualism, yeah. Hyper-individualism. And so really like, what we see now in 2019 is like, man, I'm like, I'm a self-made man. I do things on my own. I work hard. If I'm going to get anything out of this life, it's because I worked really hard to make it uh, happen. And I don't really need anybody to help me get there. In fact, if I don't have anyone help me get there, I'm even more of a man. Um, how does that like ma- mindset affect the way that we approach as Christians coming into church community and surrounding ourselves in church community. I mean, I guess just frankly, the, a lot of guys, and I've even felt this myself, like just a sense of like, do I really need to be around these people? Like, do I, is this going to help me at all? Right? Like, I think a lot of people are honest that that's kind of the way they're framing their, um, motivation to get in church communities. Like, I, I don't know. Is this something I even really need? Seriously? I mean, yes, that that's, I think, you know, as a, as a pastor for over 10 years, I, I, uh, I still think that, I mean, I think we all have that moment where we're like, what good is this? Like, is this really, you know, and that, that I think is a seed though of a really dangerous life. Um, because community doesn't pay out automatically and immediately Mm. (laughs) community pays out after a long while, Mm. right? Um, And so I think one thing particularly about our generation is we want community, but we don't know what it takes to form it. Mm. And that is, you're not gonna see the fruit of the community you're in until you're years down the road. I mean, I think about, right, I was in Portland for for most of my life. I don't know if I saw the fruit of all the relationships that I made in Oregon until I moved to the Bay Area. Mm. And I realized, wow, I had spent so much time, so much energy with these people. I really have some profound relationships. Um, but it didn't really pay, it doesn't pay out sometimes for a while. You know, likewise, I've been to the Bay, in the Bay Area now a little over three years. And only now am I starting to see the fruit of like, some of the relationships that I've made down here. And so one huge thing is beware of that thought. Um, and two, fight through that thought, knowing that the payment is coming later. The fruit is coming later. The investment, the return on the investment is coming later. But that's why the Bible talks so much about perseverance. I, I really do think that we should beware of that thought. But also, I, I think it's really okay to say that thought is so normal. And like, do not think your pastor is above that thought. Do not think that uh, you're a bad person for thinking that thought. I'll give you just a micro example. I host a midweek group on Wednesday night. 14 people come into my living room with my wife and I, and we pray, read scripture, talk about Jesus in our lives. Uh, We share food together, right? Very community, first century church stuff. Um, Very common in church life. I'll tell you, there, there's a lot of Wednesdays, dude, like that I'm cleaning my house, waiting for people to arrive, just going, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Another Wednesday, I got to be on, you know, I've got this dual role of like group leader and pastor, but I also want to be like vulnerable with these people. These are my people. So I have all this kind of like mixed feelings or maybe anxieties leading into the night. Um, 
But man, when everyone leaves my house, dude, like my wife and I shut the door and everyone's gone after that night, I, I have never once regret having them over. Right. Right. There's a lot of times I'm like curious and wondering like, gosh, is this going to pay out? But really after we spend time and pray together, I go, that was some of the best way I could have spent my time. Yeah. And so some of that is important to remember of like the community, it won't pay out in the, in the long term all the time. But really when we are together and when we're praying for each other, we rarely, we rarely will waste time. Yeah. You had said, I saw somewhere on uh, your social media somewhere um, that I, I think somebody had kind of mistakenly interpreted your book based on like the title and the cover as a minimalism book. Um, yeah. It's happened can, a couple times. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Cause it, cause it, it could sound like that, right? Like, like minimal, the minimalistic movement is kind of growing as yeah. people are saying, I, I, this is it kind of from a secular level, like let's get rid totally. of all of our stuff and, uh, let's just have less because all of our stuff has actually been stressing us out. Um, and some yeah. people have kind of said, well, is this what your book is about? Um, and even just kind of reading, the subtitle, you might think like, oh, this is like a spiritual minimalism. Is, it, is there a contrast or like, what would you say to that? Yeah. So the, I, I wrote a, a companion piece on my Medium site where there's, um, that can be found through, through my website, chrisnye.co. And uh, it, it's just about, the title is, is a minimalist life a holy life? Because people were kind of like asking me, do you address this in your book? Or then people would review the book and be like, I thought this was about minimalism. Yeah. And I read it and I was like, it's about Jesus. Um, <laughs> they're like swinging a miss. Uh, so they, they didn't really get what they wanted. Um, yeah. So I understand that. Um, but I, um, yeah, I think that uh, the minimalist movement in general is great. Could we do better with less stuff? Yes. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I raised in the article that I wrote was um, to be a minimalist, you have to be a materialist first. And so in, in other words, it's kind of ironic that the movement was birthed out of like kind of high materialism and therefore has become even in itself a little materialistic. What I've seen in some of it, not all of it, is – while I own less, I still um, I have a greater attachment to that which I own, the little that I do own. Mm. In other words, that I have one chair, but that chair is the artisan handcrafted chair that costs $3,000, <laughs> right, you know, whatever, right? right? I don't own a, a coffee maker, but I own like a very minimalist setup of coffee handcrafted mugs and really nice, you know, uh, things to make my pour over coffee. Greed in scripture is not about how much you own. It's about your relationship with what you own. Mm. And so I think I worked in the inner city of San Francisco before I came out to Awakening Church. And um, I met hoarders, real life hoarders in the inner city who were poor. And yet they, so they were not the opposite of the minimalist. And yet they were not attached to these things. They just didn't have the resources to get rid of them. They had a beautiful heart for Jesus, and yet they were hoarders. Um, at the same time, I've met minimalists who are self-righteous. Um, Jesus says in Luke twelve fifteen, he says, "Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own." Now we've thrown that verse at rich people and, and said that rich people are terrible through that verse, but I think he's saying something much more profound. Beware of every kind of greed. Greed comes at the poor, the middle class, and the wealthy. That's right. Greed comes at you from all angles. Life is not measured by how much you own does not mean life is not measured by the great quantity of what you own. He's saying 
life is not measured by how much you own, whether you own very little or own very much. Life is just not measured by that. Life is, is measured by our relationship with what we own and our relationships with each other, right? Our righteousness is our relationship with God, with other people, with creation, and with ourselves. And that is what life Jesus came to measure, is to measure our life based off of our relationship with God, our relationship with other people. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I think to the minimalist or to the hoarder, that's the call. The call is not to uh, curate a material life that looks righteous, but to be the person who is righteous because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm, that's good, man. That's real good. You, uh, you shared a story about uh, a time, an experience you had in Nicaragua, uh, and we've actually both been to yes. the same place in Nicaragua. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'd love for you to share that story because it's really powerful. Uh, yeah. If you, if you don't mind, kind of unpack that portion. Of how, how many times have you been there, man? Um, three times. Yeah. And you've yeah. been to the Via Esperanza, the, yep, the, yep, the village of Hope yeah. with, with, yeah. I've just oh. been there once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think you, you've done some of the pastoral training down there, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's this beautiful community. Um, I took 35 students to to Managua, Nicaragua. Managua, for those that don't know, and well, Nicaragua is the second poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, second to Haiti. So the level of poverty there is just ridiculous, um, staggering um, to, to anyone. So I took a group down there of 35 kids, and one of the places that they take you um, is to this place called La Chereca. Uh, La Chereca is, is a dump on the outskirts of Managua. And when I say dump, um, it, it looks nothing like, you know, if you go to a dump in America and go like put trash out there, it looks nothing like that. It's a, right. this is a city of trash. Right. Um, and so to paint the picture, literally as tall as houses, multiple story houses in America, tall as buildings, in some parts of America are heaps of trash Mm -hmm. in this place called La Shreka. And then in there, there's, um, 200 families. So hundreds of people, men, women, and children that live in La Shreka. And there's alleyways in this city of trash where these women and little boys and little girls grow up. There's actually a school in La Shreka. I mean, it's just insane. It's its own economy. It's its own. Yes. Yeah. So, and then connected to that to make the reality darker, the, um, way to, to kind of live there is to barter trash, right. Is to kind of like exchange trash. And so the truck drivers, the garbage truck drivers that go in and out of La Shereka, one of the ways you get kind of first pick on the first trash that comes in is that some of the men in the community have subjected their daughters or their wives to prostitution, um, to those, um, truck drivers in order to get first dibs on the trash that comes in. And so it's literally a hell on earth, you know, and actually it's, it's interesting. Jesus's word for hell is Gehenna, which is the Valley of Hinnom is it's that word is connected to the Valley of Hinnom. And so the quick biblical background on that is actually Gehenna was a city of trash. It was basically the Lashrek of Jerusalem. Mm. It was the outskirts of the city where trash would go and burn and, um, and be destroyed. Mm. And so when I was touring Lashrek, it was literally hell. And when I was walking back, from it with my students trying to process it alongside them. 
trying to hold myself together as their youth pastor. Um, I was talking to our, uh, our translator, Mario, and I just go, Mario, I've never seen anything like this, man. I've, I just can't even believe what I saw. Um, I've never seen anything like it. And he says, you have. And I was like, no, listen, I have not. He goes, no, you have seen something like it. Um, because you live in America and what you saw is America just further down the trash line. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, look, Chris, you guys in America just do the same thing. You set your lives up amidst future trash. You barter and sell and buy stuff that will eventually just be trash. He's like, the only difference between you and La Shereka is you just get the garbage sooner. Golly. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, that I've been, that was, that was, uh, nearly 10 years ago. I'm still thinking about that conversation. Seriously. I because he's right. I mean, I'm talking to you on a laptop. I've got my phone next to me. These items in not even 20 years will be in a garbage bin somewhere yep. and unusable. So yep. I just get nicer garbage sooner. But I'm bartering. I'm trading things. My the the new, the newest garbage I get. I'm a higher member in the community. So let me just tie this story off because the the beauty of Nicaragua and the people in Nicaragua is that, and the gospel hope here is that the women that were being harmed and 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 abused in La Shereka were rescued by a couple um, that you and I have met um, that that went to La Shereka. And offered the girls a life outside of the garbage and brought the girls out to this beautiful place called the Via Esperanza that you and I have both been in and toured. I, I stayed there with my students yeah. where dozens of girls now live in a community with fresh sheets and um, homes and women and men that care for them the way that real fathers and mothers should care for women. And these girls learn skills and they get education and they're discipled in the way of Jesus. And, and, and the, the beautiful thing that I see and the gospel picture I see is that the couple perfectly uh, modeled Jesus in that they went into the garbage heap to pull the women out of the La Shereka to offer them a life in the Via Esperanza, which is translated the village of hope. And so what I see for myself as an American is not, oh, how nice for the Nicaraguan people and how beautiful is that. But what I see is I go, that is what Jesus Christ and the church is doing for me in America mm. with, the, with the future and newer garbage that I'm spending my life in and doing. Career, materialism, power, money, anything, any of those pursuits. Jesus is taking me out of the kingdom of America the dressed up La Shereka of America. And he's bringing me to his village of hope, his church. That's a, a diverse community of people that are learning his ways. And his salvation is not um, to be, uh, you know, waited upon or anything like that. He has come to the garbage heap. He has come to La Shereka the way that that beautiful couple came to La Shereka to rescue those girls. He's coming to us and taking us out. And so that's really what my heartbeat is for the book too, is that people would read that and see that connection and go, man, I got to get out of the kingdom of America and come to the kingdom of God. Yeah. And you, one of the, that's so beautiful, bro. And one of the ways that you, you kind of describe that is you talk about the word blessed or happier are you basically uh, mm. to live this way. Like that, that kind of, 
um, that kind of a posture that Jesus is taking to pull us out of the dump and offer us this new life and this new way of doing things. It's, it's for our good and for our joy and for his glory. Like talk to it, give us the good news here, man. Like we're pursuing, Absolutely. we're pursuing the, uh, the American story for all of us. I, I don't think, um, it's hard to convince most people who have been chasing more and who have been chasing just more stuff, more power, more prestige, more whatever it is, more uh, all the things that we're chasing after. I think most of us, if we're honest, when we lay our heads down at night, we're like, this actually isn't satisfying us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and yes. Yeah. And the, the, the statistics would only back that up. You know, the alarming rates of depression, suicide, anxiety yeah. as our like economy has grown. Right. And like you and I have seen it in our generation, right? Like our generation is not any happier or anything because of that pursuing of stuff. So that you're right. The truth is there's not life in a pursuit for like more there. There's not life there. There's not good news there. And that word that Jesus has blessed is the word makarios, which means can, has been translated happy, flourishing, which I love that word flourishing. And he applies that to such beautiful things, right? He says in the famous Beatitudes, the beginning of Matthew 5 would be great for your listeners to go read. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, like those who, who like hold back. You know, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, and actually in Luke 6, he says, whoa, or like, you know, he kind of pronounces a judgment on the rich, or those who are quote unquote satisfied. Hmm. He says, and, and he gives that to say, that's not where life is, not where flourishing is. Like life and flourishing and peace and joy and righteousness is found in the pursuit of meekness, poverty and spirit, hunger and thirst for righteousness, a pursuit for justice, like peacemaking. Uh, these are the things that are going to lead us to life. And the thing that is quoted in Acts that Jesus said is, is it is more blessed to give than receive. And I just think that's like, it's more happy making, it's more flourishing to give of our lives than to receive. And I always tell people this, I've never met an ex generous person. (laughs) I've never met someone who is, who's like, I tried the whole generosity thing. Didn't really work out. I'm going (laughs) to go back to the greed thing. Like, come on, dude. Like all of us who, who will take this call for Jesus will realize this is the better life. Dallas Willard said, Um, He said, if there was a better way to live, Jesus Christ would have been the first person to tell you about it. Mm. This is the best way to live. Jesus was the first person to tell us about it. Will we follow him in it? Mm. For the guy who's listening, who feels exhausted, not just like physically tired, but like exhausted in his soul because he is working um, with everything he has for more. Um, because he's convinced if he can just get around that corner and get a little bit more in the at, at work, a little bit more power, a little bit more prestige, a little bit more stuff or in his bank account or whatever. And uh, he feels like he's on a hamster wheel and he's just tired. Um, what would you say to that guy? I'm really grateful for this question because this is the guy, I, you know, I wrote the book for, for sure. And the the guy that like pastorally, that's, that's where my heart is. Yeah. And um, here's what I would say. After meeting Jesus Christ, there is nothing left to achieve. Mm. And so be at peace, work hard, be a person of integrity, 
live out of the teachings of Scripture in the way of Jesus. But because of Jesus's work on the cross, you don't have to prove yourself. There's nothing you need to achieve. Um, you can be poor, unknown, struggling, facing adversity, crushed in spirit, and you can still be held in Christ, which is the great teaching of the New Testament. That's why Paul says, I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm persecuted. I'm not like abandoned. Like th- these are, these are like, I, I, I'm pressed to the point of death yet alive. Mm-hmm. These are the things Paul says. Why can he, why can he say that? Well, it's because he has met Christ. He met, he met Jesus. And once you meet Jesus, there's nothing left to achieve, to accomplish. All the accomplishments and achievements are bonuses. They're blessings. If you have children, it's Jesus calls it a blessing. If you struggle to have children, you still have Jesus. If you struggle to parent, you still you've got Jesus. If your kids are are giving you some of the most greatest difficulties of your life, um, how you are as a parent and how you are as a dad is not who you are. Um, who you are is the child of God. Who you are is the beloved of God. Who you are is the scriptures say in Christ, unified with him, heirs with him. And so my heart for those men, man, be at peace. Uh, Give yourself the grace Jesus has given you. Mm. Bro, such good truth, uh, such good news. Praise God. Um, Everyone go pick up immediately go pick up uh, Chris's new book, Less of More, um, so that you can dive more into this topic. We obviously just scratched the surface here. Again, you also have your other book, Distant God, which is also really, really powerful. Um, So you've put out some really good books. I'll put both of these in the show notes so you guys can just click that and immediately go pick up a copy of that. Chris, I love you, brother. It's so good to catch up with you. Thanks for hanging out with us today, man. Thanks, Jared. Hey guys, thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope it was helpful for you and pointed you a little bit closer to Jesus. If you believe in the Dad Tired Ministry, if you've been a listener for a while, you're part of the Facebook community and you're just encouraged by what we're doing here, would you consider making a contribution to the ministry? It just helps us lead more guys to Christ and equip them to lead their family well. It really is changing lives and we'd love to have your support in doing that. We are completely supported by the Dad Tired community. So you can do that by going to dadtired.com forward slash give, make a contribution. It means the world to us. Most importantly, it helps us lead guys to Christ and help their families do the same. We love you guys. See you.